0: And share the stream on your page. It's one of the easiest and most effective ways that you can share the gospel and a message of hope with people who desperately need it. So you can be a finger missionary today all by just pushing that button and sharing the stream. And the influence becomes exponential. We're doing a series called Hope in the Future. Do we need a hope in the future right now? All right. 2020? Can I get a witness? I don't think anybody's trying to resurrect 2020 here, so uh, we're ready for 2021, and we're ready for a hope and a future, and I know things are crazy, and things are chaotic, but Jesus has got this, ladies and gentlemen. I know it seems crazy. I know everything, the future seems uncertain on a lot of levels, and so we're doing this based out of uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, and... To give context, one of the most famous verses that uh, in the scripture is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, the plans that God has for us. But I want to build out the background of that for you today, and I want you to give you some understanding, and I want to show you how God can work and has worked, and will continue to work in the midst of very difficult uh, circumstances. So, no matter what your circumstances are, Jesus has got a plan for you. So, Jeremiah 29, verse 1 says this these are the words that the letter of the prophet Jeremiah wrote to the exiles. Everybody say exiles. exiles. In, in That were taken away from Jerusalem and carried to, ne- that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away to Babylon, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people. For 490 years, God's people had disobeyed him. Right? So, people are like, oh, God's not patient. 490 years? I think that sounds like a lot of patience. So for 490 years, 70 times 7, literally he labored with these people trying to get them to come on to his program and they constantly rejected it and would go their way. And so what ended up happening was by the end of the by the end of this time before Uh, God allowed an army to come and take them out of the land. The Babylonians came into Israel, took the Israeli people, the Jewish people, the kingdom of Judah, and carried them back to Babylon. They left a remnant in Judea, but they took the majority of the people. If you were really, really, really good looking, and you had some business acumen, and you were smart or any way, you were the one they took. If you were, you know, kind of, weakish, frailish, or they viewed you as not beneficial to their society within Babylon left you. So all the really, really, really good-looking people, all the Instagram people were already in Babylon. They got taken away, you know. So the king took the Babylonian, took them. What's going on here and why this happened is important. God allowed them to be carried away because they were on a clear path of self-destruction. They, were, they had reached a point of no return. The, the nation had lost its spiritual and moral center. And what's going on here, and there was a lot of moral, moral corruption. The Bible tells us that there was murder, there was extreme injustice within the courts. People were being, they were allowing theft and robbery. There was the shedding of innocent blood. And the Lord told them, and you are serving foreign gods to your destruction. The people had begun not just to worship the Lord, but they began to integrate themselves into the worship of the culture around them. And they were following the gods of the culture. And so when when the Bible talks about this type of thing, when we follow, quote, gods of the culture, we don't worship statues as a society, but we worship mindsets. And that's really what the Bible uses in the word world is this word cosmos, and it means system of thinking. And so while God's people would never think to bow down to a statue, we certainly bow down to mindsets and attitudes and systems of thought that are not God's. And that is what is called intellectual idolatry. We worship the thinking of the world. We, the church is not to think like the world. We are in it, but not of it. We don't operate by the hive mind of the culture that moves by every moral decay that they so decide. We move by the kingdom of God. We don't move by the hive mind of the culture. We move by the mind of Christ. His ways are not our ways, nor is his thoughts our thoughts. As the heavens are higher, so is his above ours. We have access to the Lord's mind and to the Lord's heart. And these people had the same, they were in the same sort of situation. God had given him his word, he had given them their their way, and they had completely forgotten it. And what was going on among the people, this is important, is that they were worshipping the Lord. They were coming to temple on Saturday. They were doing their religious service on on their Saturday, the Sabbath day that they worshipped on. And so they would come and they would do their religious service, and then immediately they would go off and serve the Baals, which were the gods of the culture. And so they would come and give God his dutiful little offerings and that they thought their religious ceremonies. And then they would run off and do whatever they wanted. And God puts the prophet Jeremiah at the door and tells them one of the things that, one of the most powerful things. I love this verse. I love this verse. He stands at the door of the temple. So imagine this, right? We have a greeter standing at the door. So the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is your greeter this morning. Handing out the bulletin, handing it out, and he's going, Hi, good morning, welcome. Don't trust in lying vanities. Hi, good morning, welcome. Don't trust in lying vanities. Hi, good morning, don't trust in lying vanities. And so God put the prophet Jeremiah, who would stand at the doorway of the temple, and tell the people, do not trust in lying vanities. Don't think that a religious exercise is what God is acceptable to God. Don't think that an outward demonstration is something that Jesus is looking for. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for relationship from the heart. He's looking for communion with you and with him towards himself. And so God puts the prophet Jeremiah there, and he's doing this. Don't say the temple of the Lord because they said, it doesn't matter what we do. The temple of the Lord is in Jerusalem, and the Lord would never destroy his own temple. Really? <laughs> well, they were completely wrong about that because God wasn't, God's not interested in sticks and bricks. He's interested in heart and soul. Right? Right? And the people were thinking, the sticks and bricks are enough. And the Lord said, the sticks and bricks aren't enough. The heart and the soul is what I want. And if you think the sticks and the bricks mean anything to me, I can sweep all that away in a moment. And that's what happened. They lost everything. 490 years they came. This downfall really started, it reached the tipping point. Jeremiah, this is not a prophet you want to be. So if you ever read the story of Jeremiah, and I encourage you to, I'll give you a little bit of background on Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a guy that God called and he said... Good news. You're going to be my prophet, and you're going to speak to my people. Great good news. However, they're not going to listen to you at all. <laughs> and so Jeremiah's ministry, the entirety of his ministry, was speaking God's truth and the people rejecting him every single set of the way. They bound him in chains. They put the brother in a pit, left him out in the rain. They put him in a hole in the ground that he couldn't get out of. They put him in stocks. Right? They tormented him. Can you ever know what happened to people in stocks? It wasn't good. So the drunks would be passing by in the middle of the night, and they'd say, hey, you know, you know. They'd urinate on him. They'd throw all kinds of crazy stuff. They would completely torment and just, and just degrade the guy that was left in stocks. They put Jeremiah in a hole, right? Left him outside in the rain and the mud and everything. Jeremiah gets out of the hole and goes, that's it, man. I am not speaking for you, Lord, anymore. I'm done. Right? The Lord told them they're not going to listen to you. Jeremiah's like, "I'll go. And then he goes, and they don't listen to him. And then he says, I'm, I, I've had it. I'm not doing this anymore. And so Jeremiah went on a little bit of a reprise. He's like, I'm not going to prophesy anymore. And then the anointing and the power of God was too much. He said, your word is like fire shut up in my bones. I cannot help but speak. And so Jeremiah again came back because the Lord had summoned him. The Lord had called him to do this. And so Jeremiah's ministry began. Jeremiah was what God did with his prophets in the Old Testament. Is he, Samuel was the first of the prophets. The, the ones that were before them, he was the first that were called seers. Samuel shifted the seer into, and he kind of created schools. And from the schools, they became known as Prophets. Those literally who see and speak forth. That's what the word profe, it comes from. To speak forth. So they would see and hear God's word, or what the Lord was saying, and they would speak forth. Samuel started schools, and Samuel started schools for the prophets, and that became a continuation within Israel where God would train people in the prophetic ministry, and they would often be mentored and tutored. Jeremiah was tutored by Zephaniah, okay? So they would have tutors Elijah tutored Elisha. You see, you see how the, kind of the game was played. And so Ma- Jeremiah, very early in his ministry, sees a king on the throne named Manasseh. Manasseh was the guy who started to really tip the scales. It was going on, but Manasseh took it to a whole other level. He took all of the stuff to like another, a whole other place. What was normal, then Manasseh just went all in. The Bible says that Manasseh built altars for the host of heaven. So all of the gods in the stars of heaven, he built, he built an altar for them. The zodiac, the horoscope. He had not only had that instigated, he had altars built for all of these gods in God's house. And in the house of the Lord. And he caused his sons to pass through the fire at the valley of Hinnon, which is the worship of Molech. He literally sacrificed his own children in the fire in the valley of Hinnon. They Hinnom. The, the, the pagans worshipped a god called Molech and they would burn their children in the fire. Why would they do that? They would burn their children in the fire to gain favor with the gods. And then they would also burn their children in the fire so that they would soothsay. While the child was burning, these priests would watch how the child died, and they would read the omens of how the child died. Yeah, right? This is the king of Israel who's doing this. He passed his own sons through the fire. And he practiced soothsaying, witchcraft, sorcery. They believed that with some, a lot of the sorcery was drugs, so they, would, they were big on hallucinogenics. You think hallucinogenics LSD came out in uh, 1960. They had a hallucinogenics. They, were, they would use herbs and all these different things. And, so, and, and Manasseh, according to history and legend, was really into it. Okay? He liked Lucy in the Sky with diamonds. He liked to go on these trips. And he surrounded himself with witchcraft, sorcery, medians, and spiritists. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he provoked the Lord to anger. And he set up an image in the temple, in the the inner court. So So here you have the house of God, right? You have the temple where the people came. And so there was this huge place where people would gather. And then there were three sections to the temple. There was the outer court where the people would come in and they would worship. There was the inner court where the priests would go and minister to the Lord. And then there was the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies. There the Ark of the Covenant would sit. And God's glory, literally the manifest presence, the Shekinah glory of God would abide upon the Ark of the Covenant. And once a year the priests could go into the Holy of Holies and minister before the Lord on behalf of the people. So there were three sections to the temple. And what, what Manasseh did is the outer court where the people were, he had all kinds of idols. He had all of the hosts of the stars. Kind of like if you've ever been to Athens. Anybody ever been to Athens? you ever seen the, pa- the Parthenon? If you ever go up on the Acropolis in Athens and you go to this, it's just huge temple complex. And they have, God, they have altars everywhere. Everywhere, the whole top of the mountain is just filled with altars, and then the huge center temple is the temple of Athena. Right, so you have the massive temple of Athena, and then surrounding the temple of Athena are all these altars to all these other foreign gods. And that's kind of what Manasseh was doing. He took the outer court of the temple and filled it with altars, and then he decided he was going to go one up. Right, so he took an altar, he took he took an image of the god Baal, and he put it in not the holy place, but in the inner court. So when the priests would come in to minister, they would be seeing Baal. And Jeremiah, which is interesting, seeing all of this going on, went to Manasseh and asked to remove the Ark of the Covenant. What's not not in debate is whether or not Jeremiah removed the Ark. Jeremiah removed the Ark of the Covenant from Jerusalem in the days of Manasseh. What is in debate is what what Jeremiah did with the Ark. Nobody knows what he did with it, but we do know that he took it. Because Manasseh was corrupting it. And what's really interesting here is that, you guys enjoying this? You guys digging this? All right, I'm, I'm digging it. Jeremiah, this is a little, a little different. This is more of a teaching. So Jeremiah and Ezekiel were contemporaries. Ezekiel was a little younger than Jeremiah. And Ezekiel prophesied when the glory lifted from the ark and left. So God's abiding presence had departed already, so all you had now was the Ark. So the Ark of the Covenant was simply a symbol where God would say, I'm going to come down and I'm going to to be among you. My presence will be among you. The word is Shekinah, which means abiding presence. We have the Shekinah in us right now. The Holy Spirit is in you. That is the Shekinah glory of God. The abiding presence of God lives in you. That 's the power you feel when it comes over you that 's the glory you feel, all of that moving inside of you. that is the Shekinah, the abiding presence of God. We have it in us. we are now what? the temple of the Lord, right and so but in those days, because man was not. Forgiven and sin still abided in us, that the it still does, but we are cleansed and we're made a habitation so that the Holy Spirit can abide. Thank you, Jesus. It was, it was, He abided over the ark. But Ezekiel says, Because the people were so distracted, this is such, this is such like, like, I mean, I think we need to hear this today as a church is that the people were so distracted with the worship of other things that they didn't even notice the glory when it departed. They were so wrapped up in their institution. They were so wrapped up in their religious meanderings. They were so wrapped up in their own personal lives and all of these different things and the worship of the gods of the culture. Ezekiel tells it in a story that's long for him. He said he saw the glory and the glory lifted from the ark. And I'll add commentary. And no one noticed. And then he saw the glory and it moved out to the inner court of the temple. Moved out of the holy place. And no one noticed. Then the the glory moved to the threshold of the tabernacle or the temple. So it moves to the doorway going out. No one noticed. Then it moved to the outer court of the camp or of the city. No one noticed. Then the glory moved to the top of the mountain. And the Bible says no one noticed. And then the glory went over the mountain and departed. And the Lord wrote upon his house Ichabod, which means no glory. No glory. No glory. See so you see what's going on here is that God's people they they listen the presence of the Lord and the presence of the Holy Spirit is to be valued. He is to be cherished, he is to be honored above all things. Jesus isn't second, he's first. Okay? The Bible says that in all things he may have the preeminence. In everything Jesus has the preeminence. This is what it means to be a Christian, Christian. It means that in all things Christ has the preeminence. He's not second. He's not your big buddy. He's not your, you know, uh, your bellhop that you reach towards in case you have a problem. He is, deeply, he is to be deeply integrated into every sphere of your life, and he is to be preeminent. Your decisions are to reflect him. Your relationships are to reflect him. Your thinking is to reflect him. It's all or nothing. This is the gospel. This is the truth. We are purchased by his blood, and we belong to him. And you don't want to belong to anybody else because I'm going to tell you, Jesus has got a better plan for you than you do, right? And Jesus is good, and he's in a good mood all the time. And one of the biggest things he saves us from is ourselves. So it is not a burden for me to submit myself unto Christ in all things because he knows more than me, and he's better than me, and he's, he's good. So that's, it's not the problem. But God tests us and shows us that, Kevin, I am preeminent in all things. We confess him as Lord Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Huh? That's what he said. Everybody's like, Lord, 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 Lord. Well, why are you calling me Lord and you don't listen to me? It just tells me I'm not your Lord. Because you don't do anything I tell you to do. And so this guy does all this, and this is crazy. because with Man- So Jeremiah is a young guy, and he's seeing Manasseh, and he's kind of coming up in the ranks. He starts prophesying on the outskirts of Manasseh's reign, right, as Manasseh's fading. He did remove the ark. God sends four prophets to Manasseh. Four. Not one, four. Four. He sent Isaiah, he sent Habakkuk, he sent Nahum, and he sent Zephaniah, which was Jeremiah's mentor. So he's, Jeremiah was in, in, involved in this. Somehow, he was the mentee, he was the sort of the protege, he was the Padawan of Zephaniah. And the Bible says that Manasseh put all four of them to the sword. Now, that's a really safe statement. Hebrews says Isaiah was cut in half. Cut in half. In the court of the temple. Manasseh's like, you're going to prophesy to me? Okay, tie the brother down with ropes, pull him this way, tie his feet, pull him this way, and cut him in half. Publicly. Right? This is who Manasseh was. People go, well, look at God, look at God judging his people. Seriously? The Lord deals with you for 490 years? He sends two, four, not one, four. Well, in case you don't like the way Isaiah's saying it, maybe you'll like the way Habakkuk's saying it. Or you don't like the way Habakkuk's saying it, maybe you'll like the way Nahum is saying it. You don't like the way Nahum is saying it? Well, how do you like it if I bring another voice to you? God brought four different voices to this guy, all saying the same thing, and he wouldn't listen to any of them. He killed them all. Jeremiah removes the Ark of the Covenant. Following Manasseh, this is the downfall. This is what brings us to Isaiah 29. You know, it's one thing to quote a verse. It's another thing to value the context from which the verse is coming from. And you can really understand the depth from which God is speaking this verse from. Following Manasseh, there was one good king, Josiah, but there's just this... Out of the line following him, there was going to be five more kings. One is almost unmentionable. One was a decent king named Josiah. And then there were three really bad guys. One named Jehoiakim, one named Jeconiah, and one named Zedekiah. And none of them listened to the Lord. None of them. Jeconiah is a guy. We don't know what the guy did, but he did something really bad. Because the Lord said, none of your kids will sit on the throne. (laughs) And so when he removed Jeconiah, he appointed his brother, Zedekiah, to the throne. And Zedekiah, Zedekiah's the guy, if you know this story, so we have Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Zedekiah was appointed by Babylon. So Babylon came, took the people away, and when they took them away, they're like, look, look, we're going to take your best, but we're going to let you guys stay here. And we're going to let you rule and reign. You can still practice your religion, you can still have your own little city, but you're going to be now a tributary of Babylon. In other words, you're going to pay us money, but you get to exist. Happy day. Right? The problem was, none of the kings that, that uh, uh, had Nebuchadnezzar appointed would listen. He takes Jehoiakim away. He appoints Jeconiah. Jeconiah didn't listen to him. Three months later, Babylon back and they, they take him away. Then they put Zedekiah on the throne. Thinking, okay, Zedekiah, here's the deal. You get to be in charge you guys get to practice your religion, we took all, we're taking all your resources, and you're going to be a tributary of Babylon until we say differently. And Zedekiah wouldn't listen. And the prophets Jeremiah and the prophets Ezekiel were going, Zedekiah, listen to the Lord. And Zedekiah wouldn't listen. And so Jeremiah says, you will be taken in chains to Babylon. And Ezekiel comes and goes, you will not see Babylon. And Zedekiah mocked the Lord. And he said, you guys can't even get your story straight. You're saying I'm going to go in chains, and you're saying I'm not going to see Babylon. What was going on is there's competing powers in the world. Babylon was competing with Egypt, and what happened was Israel was in between, and they kept shifting their allegiance, and so Nebuchadnezzar wanted Israel on their side to say, look, you're going to be a buffer. We're going to leave you guys here, so when Egypt comes north, we have garrisons here to defend going into our territory, but the problem was, is the Judean kings, as soon as they would make an allegiance with Babylon, would flip and make an, make an allegiance with uh, Egypt. And when they made the allegiance, Zedekiah made an allegiance with Egypt, and the prophets were like going, don't do that. Don't do that. And they did it anyway. <laughs> and so what happens? Nebuchadnezzar comes to Zedekiah. What's he do? He says, hey, dude, didn't I make a deal with you? Didn't I, didn't I tell you everything's going to be cool if you just do what I say? And what did you do? You went behind my back. You made an alliance with my enemy. How am I supposed to stand for that? And he's like, bring Zedekiah before me. Zedekiah came before me. He said, bring his whole family. Zedekiah was forced to watch Nebuchadnezzar kill his entire family, including three of his sons. And then you, know what Zed- then you know what Nebuchadnezzar did after that? He put out Zedekiah's eyes, put him in chains, and took him to Babylon. So what prophetic word came true? Both of them. He went in chains to Babylon, but he never saw it. Exactly. Don't mock the prophetic. The goal of this is that in most turbulent times, God's sending four prophets to the guy in a horrible time. It's a horrible time and God's speaking. So when you're going through a horrible time, you need to know that God will speak most to you in the horrible time. You know why? Because that's when we're most prone to listen. (laughs) When things are riding high, we're like, oh, I don't need Jesus. I got this. (laughs) Ha, 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 Right? And all of a sudden things shift and we're like, Lord, where are you? Where are you? Speak to me. Just like he was doing with Manasseh. It was really bad. Manasseh's taking the nation over the cliff, right? And God sends four prophets to him. That, that just staggers me when I think about that. the goodness of God, right? The guy's lost his mind, surrounded by witchcraft. Doing, and witchcraft is not like our witchcraft. This is pre-Jesus witchcraft. This is full-on demon, demonic, power, sorcery, the truest sense of the word. The demons were not broken. They had, still had authority. Christ is the one that broke demonic power. And so now the demons are subject to us. But prior to Christ, the demons had no subjugation. They ruled and reigned and did what they want. So when you invoked them, oh yeah. So this was like real live stuff that's going on. And God in the midst of this darkness is sending a prophet to him going, Hey man, I'll get you out of this if you'll listen to me. Aren't you glad Jesus is like that? We make such messes of our lives, and God will send a word to us and say, I'll get you out of it if you listen to me. I'll get you out of it if you listen to me. I'll get you out of it as you listen to me. You know? And then we murder the person that comes to tell us. You know, <laughs> he's going to get us out of this. So it was about territory. That's what's going on. The heavenly side, it was about relationships. Israel kept selling. So on the earthly side, it's about Egypt and Babylon fighting over the control of the region. And Israel was kind of a pawn in the, peace, in, in the game here. From the heavenly side, God would, Egypt and Babylon were irrelevant to the Lord. His people are what's relevant. And I think in times like this and in, in, in seasons like this, we, we don't understand that the, the nations are irrelevant to the Lord. I'm going to say that again. The nations are irrelevant to the Lord. What is relevant to the Lord is His people. The Bible says He will give nations for your ransom. You ever thought about that? He says, you think that means anything to me? That means nothing to me. My people mean everything to me. We are the apple of his eye. We we diminish our identity so much. We don't understand that we are a favorite of God. I'm favored. Oh, we're blessed and highly favored. No, you are literally favorite of God. If, If there's a choice to be made, there's no choice at all. God will choose his sons and daughters. There's no choice at all to the Lord. It doesn't matter what, who else fails. doesn't matter whose business goes down. His choice is for his people always. Always. And the Lord will fight for his people. And the Lord will defend his people. We have to activate that relationship. Part of the reason that power doesn't flow in our lives is we don't activate that relationship. We have no clue who we are. We sell ourselves out and we diminish ourselves in and among the culture. And we think we're just like everybody else. You're not like everybody else. Who told you that? Who told you you're like everybody else? Jesus doesn't tell you you're like everybody else. Is everybody else a holy priesthood, a royal nation? Is everybody else like that? Is everybody else called out of darkness and into light? No, you are. Is everybody else called ambassadors, sons and daughters? Does anybody else get that title? No, you do. The bread is for the who? Who's the bread for? The bread is for who? That's right. Who are the children? Those who confess Christ, he gave the power and ability to be called the sons and daughters of God or the children of God. So the bread isn't for everybody, people. The provision isn't for everybody, but it's for you. Are you a son and daughter? Then take your rightful place and lay claim to your promise. The devil's going to resist you. He's going to cloud your mind. He's going to put all kinds of opposition against you. And he's going to tell you, you can't have it. The devil will point to circumstances. And he'll say, look around you. The Lord does not point to circumstances. The Lord points to truth. We don't follow circumstances as Christians. We follow truth. Truth. Not reality. Truth. There's two realities. There's the one we see, and there's the greater reality is the one we don't see. The Bible says the things of the Spirit are... We don't walk by, th- by sight. We walk by things that we don't see. For the things that we see are subject to change, but the things that we don't see are not going to change. They're eternal. Truth. We, God will not point you to your circumstances. He will point you to truth. He will point you to promises. He will point you to His word, to His spirit, to His people, to prayer. That's where He points you to. So there's this heavenly side that there's this earthly thing going on between territories, and there's this heavenly thing going on where God is really fighting for the hearts of His people. And he's seeing if there's with no intervention here, these people are going to destroy themselves. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? You ever been on a path of destruction, or am I the only one, right? We all destroy ourselves, whether it's through uh, elements of this world or whether it's through attitudes. There are people who who renounce Jesus or will not come to Christ, and they resist the Lord, and they're their own worst enemy, right? You don't have to, like, blow it out with drugs and alcohol and waste your money on wine, women, and song to destroy yourself. There's lots of things that will destroy yourself. Lots of things. Toxic relationships, toxic attitudes. Jesus comes to save us ultimately from ourselves. He saves us from the devil and from sin and from hell, absolutely. But number one is you. You. (laughs) He saves me from me. You ever seen you? Huh? You ever seen your attitude? You ever seen your faithfulness and how easy your faith fades? How quickly you become weak. You're feeling strong and then you're weak immediately. In Christ, we can regain that strength and we can get a strength that's not our own. We can get a peace that's not our own. We can get a wisdom that's not our own. This is the blessing upon the believer. The world doesn't have access to God's wisdom. You do. The world doesn't have access to God's strength. It's a great word. It's called kratos. Krat- say it with me. Kratos. Strength of God. And it means the inward strength of God. It's what Paul was saying. Be strengthened with all kratos in your inner man. May the Lord put kratos in your inner man. An immovable strength. Sounds great, right? You get it. It's yours. You can activate that anytime you want. You can move into it and move out of it. Move into it and move out of it. Anytime you want. It belongs to you the Babylonians took them out of the land. Leviticus told them, he said, if you follow the ways of the culture, so what's happening here is that the the Babylonians are actually fulfilling a promise that God made them. He said, listen, if you you begin to follow the ways of the culture and you fill the land with sin, the land is going to cast you out. And what did they do? They followed the ways of the culture and they filled the land with sin. And what happened? The land cast them out. He told them that before they ever went into the land. He told them in Leviticus, 500 years before, whatever it was, Half a millennium before, he told them, this is what's going to happen. And that's what happened. And Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, I've allowed you to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. People look at it as punishment. I don't look at it as punishment. I look at it as favor. These people were on a one-way ride, and the Lord gave them an intervention. You say, how do you know that? Because if he wanted to punish them, they would have been utterly destroyed. And they were not utterly destroyed. The Lord actually told them, listen, Babylon will treat you well. Time to go, you know, got to put you in time out. And Babylon's going to treat you well. Watch what he says. He says, I've caused you to be carried away after 490 years. And he says, where you are, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives where you are and and have sons and daughters. Let your children get married and your daughters have husbands. In other words, live your life, right? And see that they bear sons and daughters, so that you may prosper and not diminish. Seek the peace of the place where I have placed you and it caused you to allow and allowed you to be, be there, and pray for the place where I have placed you. For as it prospers, say it with me, for as it prospers, so will I. Exactly. What was happening is, is what God is really doing here is, He's reorienting them. They were so self focused. All they thought about was themselves. All they thought about was, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. And the Lord's like, look, you're in a place, you're You're in exile. The word exile means to wander. That's what it means. It means to be cast out or to wander. And what happens in our lives is circumstances come on us, calamity comes into the world, and it throws us out of the place where we were, or sometimes it causes us to wander. And God is saying, listen, I can't bless you unless you settle down. That's what he's telling them. You guys have been wayward and all over the map. You need to settle down. You need to build a house, which is established roots. You need to get married or get, let your do- and have children. Don't forbid your children from marrying. Let them be married. And then he tells them, he said, Donnelly, he said, focus on your life and focus on your calling. He says, now seek the peace of the city, which was their calling. Their calling was to be the light of the world. That was Israel's calling. They were to bring the glory of God to the nations. They were to bring the hope of God to the nations. They were to bring the prosperity of God to the nations. That was their role. That was their role. And God says, so fulfill your calling in the place that I have placed you. Turn away from all those things. They were in circumstances they didn't want to be, and everything around them was going crazy. Does that sound familiar? Yes. In a place you don't want to be, and everything around you was going crazy. <laughs> And the Lord says, settle down, I got this. Calm down, I got this. Don't run, stop wandering, build your house, live your life, and seek your calling. Big thing. He didn't tell them to seek their will. He said, stabilize yourself and seek your calling. It's kind of like the word I gave you. The calm into the calling. Bring the calm and then step into the calling. They became so prosperous in Babylon that when 70 years came, you know this story? I don't know if you all know this. They became, God blessed them so much in a foreign land. God blessed them so much in unwanted circumstances. They didn't want to be there, right, initially. He, but they, but God, they obeyed the Lord, and God blessed them so much that after 70 years, after a change of a few regimes, the next regime, of the second, the one, two regimes, let, uh, let Israel go back and build the temple, just like God said. Seventy years later, they were allowed to go back. And less—I know it's less than ten percent, but I'm going to be conservative because I don't have the data. Less than twenty percent of them returned. They all stayed in Babylon. Why did they stay in Babylon? Because they had—they were prospering. They were flourishing there. And so when God said, "Hey, we're going back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem," not even barely ten percent of them actually went back. And they had to go back in waves. Right? They would go back a little bit at a time. And in the beginning, it was only a few thousand of them that went back. And they had a royal decree of the king that they could go back. But God had blessed them so much in their unwanted circumstances that they refused to leave. They stayed. Isn't that crazy? You don't think God can bless you in unwanted circumstances? You don't think God can bless you in unwanted situations? He can bless you if you do what he tells you to do. He's telling you, settle down. Stop chasing every rabbit that comes out of the hole. Stop following every wind and wave and every Every fancy of the culture. Stop being drifted away and compelled by fear and knowledge and, you know, what the news media says. Oh, the news media preaches more gospel than the church. People are more influenced by the news media than they are by the word of God. We bow at the altar. It's sin. We worship the God of the culture. Well, CNN said last night, CNN, CNN. MSNBC, MSNBC, Fox News, Fox News, Fox News. Doesn't matter what the culture says. Doesn't matter what the TV says. Doesn't matter what the news says. What does the Lord say? I don't care. I don't watch news, literally. I don't watch news. Am I sinning if I watch news? I'm not telling you. Look, dude, that's on your own conscience. But if you're bowing at the altar of that and you find yourself persuaded, anything that takes you in fear is not of God. Nothing. Fear is not of the Lord. Perfect love does what? Casts out fear. So if that thing is moving you into a position of fear or invoking you into a position of fright, that is not the Lord. That's a clear indicator you're being influenced by demonic power. Fear is a clear indicator that demonic power is influencing you. I didn't say you didn't get afraid. We all get afraid. There's a difference between intrepidation where we're unsure, right, and fear. Ha, ha, ha. Fear is that paralyzing thing that grips you. Fear is that thing that causes you to make decisions in panic and make radical shifts based upon that negative emotion. That's fear. Intrepidation is an entirely different thing. To be unsure is to be human. We're all unsure. But to be bound and slaves to fear, that is not of God. It's not. Some of you, the most healthy thing you can do in 2021 is stop bowing I know I'm going to get an email on this because every time I do it, I get an email. Well, I don't agree with you, pastor. you talking about the news media like you do. I get, I, get, I get emails because am I touching your God? Am I touching your God? <laughs> Just a thought. Is that God too, too powerful for you? Is that God so sacred for you that I touch that golden calf and you revolt? And I tell you, you listen to the voices of the culture rather than the voices of your father. Yeah. And it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed I'm going to get an email. Guaranteed. Guaranteed I'm going to get an email on that. Guaranteed. Always do. I get a text. I get an email. I get something. <laughs> Crazy. And we don't think there's, there's, there's power there, at P, that Christians revolt. Don't you say the news media is wrong. Don't you say that. Read your Bible, Christian. Listen to things that are hope-filled. Listen to things that bring life. Listen to things that bring change. Tear down your altar. Offer pure worship. I'm not telling you to not watch the news. So let me be clear. I'm not telling you to not watch the news. But what I am telling you is guard your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it comes the issues of life. The gateways to your heart are your eyes and your ears. And the Bible says, guard your heart. If you're going to guard your heart, that means you guard your gates. You guard what comes in, your eye gate, and you guard what comes in, your ear gate. And that's an individual thing. And I'm not going to be dogmatic about it other than to call you to that standard. I can't do it. It influences me too much. My wife doesn't affect her at all. Me, I'm like, oh, So you know what I do? I cut it off. I cut it off. Everything that does so easily ensnare me, I cut it off. Everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, I tear it down. I will not hear it. I don't care. What does the Lord say? Where is God's voice? That's the only voice that matters to me. The only one. The only one. Our problem is we haven't learned. We've got to develop and cultivate an understanding of how to hear the voice of our Father. His voice is preeminent among all. He's he's talking. God's got a word. He's got a word for you. He's got a word for this season. He's got a word for this nation. it has got a word for this hour. He's got a word for the world. He's got a word. He hasn't left his throne. He's still in charge. A lot of things that happen that I don't like that freak me out. And then I ask him, he's like, I got it, Kevin. I got it. I come to him, Lord, you know this? He's like, oh, my gosh. Really? I didn't know that. What are we going to do? Assemble the angels. What are we going to do? It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. The Lord will work it out to a fruitful end, and his people will prosper. His people will prosper. I'm telling you, his people will prosper. Settle down, and I'll bless you. Live your life where I've placed you. Bear fruit and seek the calling. Seek your calling. Settle down. Settle down. <laughs> Look at what I'm doing. Live your life towards your purpose. The purpose of the Old Testament Jew was to bring blessings to the nation in Jesus' name, and they did the opposite. Now it's our commission, right? We are the what? Light of the world, are we not? We are the now the what? The salt of the earth, right? But if we don't operate according to our function, the Bible says you're good for nothing. <laughs> you're still salt, but you're not operating according to your function. So therefore, you're good for nothing. We're the salt in this hour, guys. Right? We're the salt in the times and the seasons and the COVIDs and the, the ups and the downs and the political wanderings and the, all of this, not just psychosis that's invaded our world. We are the light and the salt. We are the voice of hope. We are the word of hope. We're not supposed to be panicking. What are you going to do when it really gets bad? Huh? You think this is something? The church panics. The church capitulates, surrender. Whatever you say, culture, we bow. Whatever you say, we bow. You don't want us to preach the gospel? We bow. You don't want us to assemble as churches? We bow. The church isn't safe. All you guys got to go to Walmart. That's basically the story. That's true. We can fill Walmart, we can't fill churches. Just a thought. You don't think there's a demonic power behind this to silence the voice of God in the nation, to create and to divide the collective assembly of the saints? Your response is individual. That's not on you. But when the churches and the leadership of the churches, we've done the safe thing. Yeah, pastor, I'm talking to you. We're doing the safe and the brave thing. Really? That's the easy thing. You think I'd want to stay home and put my feet up on Sunday morning and wear socks and watch TV? That's not the brave thing. To stand your post is the brave thing. To preach the word in season and out is the brave thing. Well, we're going to do it from my living room. That'd be great. But the Lord didn't appoint me to my living room. Right? That's not the position I hold. I am the pastor of my living room. Nonsense. We capitulate as a church wholesale over foolishness. What do you think when strong delusion comes over the whole earth? You think this is strong delusion? We bow to the gods of the culture immediately. Immediately. It's sad. The church needs to rise. God is raising a remnant in this hour. And you don't think the Lord looks? You don't think God has cast his eyes over his church during COVID? You don't know anything. It's not about his people. The people will do what the people will do. God is looking to the leadership of the household to do what he told them to do. Because if the leaders will lead, the people will follow. Eventually. And we we present a model of cowardice. We're being safe, Pastor. Call it anything you want. You can call it anything you want. I call it cowardice. I call it capitulation. You can call it anything you want. When you've got your door barred, and it's the middle of January, and you haven't opened, you're a coward. Just say it. No, we're being safe. We're being safe. Look at it from heaven's eyes. The problem is, is our mindset is cultural. That's our mindset. We think and act like the culture. What does the Lord say? You know what I said? Do you want me to close? He said, absolutely not. So you want what do you want to do? He said, stand where I put you. I told the team, I said, look, I'm going to be here. You don't have to be here. I'm going to point a camera at me. And if there's nobody in the chairs, I'm going to sit there and talk to the wall if I have to. But I'm going to be here. I don't put pressure on anyone. But I know that in my eyes, God, God is looking at me. He is looking at the pulpit. He walks where? In the midst of his lampstands. What do you think he's doing now? He's walking in the midst of his lampstands. He's walking in the midst of his churches. Because he's looking at a church for the final hour. And he wants to find a church in the final hour that he can count on. That's what he's looking for. He's dividing sheep from goats amongst his leaders. And he's walking among them and go, can I count on you? Well, clearly not. Can I count on you? Nah, maybe. Oh, we can count on them. You don't think he's doing that? You do not know him at all. You don't know him. I don't care what the denominations say. I don't care. Well, we've collectively assembled as a denomination, and we've come to this conclusion. That's why we're not a part of a denomination. Nobody tells this church what to do but Jesus. Nobody tells this church what to do but the Holy Spirit. And unto him we bow, reverently, obediently, and willingly, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Churches are going to go down, I'm telling you. This is an unsustainable thing that we've invoked upon our nation. And the churches have bought right into it. Bought right into it. Say what you want. Send me emails. I probably won't answer you. I bless you anyway. I agree to disagree with you. I agree to disagree with you. I have grace for you. Have grace for me. If you feel that I'm wrong, then courageously pray for me. I put no guilt upon those who, who operate according to their conscience. If you're operating according to your conscience, then so be it. But allow me the, the grace, too, to operate according to mine. Amen. Amen. Yes. They said, God has left us. You know what the Lord said? Who told you that? They're like, the Lord's left us. And the Lord said, 70 years are up. I'm going to take you out of this place. And he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You think I've put you in this place? You think you're in this season, this time, because I mean you harm? He basically tells them, who told you that? That was their perspective. God has forsaken us. God has left us. God has sent us to this land. We have no hope. We have no outlet. We have no way forward. The Lord goes, who told you that? Did I tell you that? I didn't tell you that. So let me tell you what I say. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future. He says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. God's thoughts are not upon you, Christian, they're towards you. Very important you know that because that lines up with his nature. The Bible says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, not upon you. He's not sitting there going, Wow, I just, my heart is just upon Raul this afternoon. And, you know, God's love for us is not an emotional experience. God's love for us is intentional. So when God says, My love is towards him, my thoughts are towards him, what is he doing? What is the best thing Raul can receive from me? What can I do in Raul's life to move him forward? He's not just thinking, oh, what a wonderful person Raul is. I just love Raul. We, we, we mistake God's love for an emotional experience. His love is intentional. His love is on purpose. He looks at Alex and says, my thought, my love is towards him. My thoughts are towards him. Not upon him, towards him. For you. If God be what? That's right. That's right. It all harmonizes. It all lines up. You, you begin to understand his nature in light of his word. You will seek me and you will find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found of you, says the Lord. And I'll bring you back from captivity. They were taken out of the land because, this, imagine this. Imagine a God that's so good that he gives you this. Why they never took advantage of this, I don't know. He told them that every seven years, they were to set aside an entire year. They were to live, but they were to not focus on their common labor. They were to take 12 months of that year and set their common labor aside. Didn't mean they stopped working entirely, but that they weren't focused on their common labor. And for 12 months, the Lord says, you focus only on me. It was called a Sabbath year. Rest the land and worship me for 12 months, and I'll bless you. Who wouldn't want that, right? Can we have that deal now, you know, 12 months off? And all I get to, and every day my calling is to worship the Lord. That was all, they, they, but they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Yeah, they didn't do it for 490 years. They didn't do it. And so the Lord said, "You owe me 70 Sabbath years." And so He says, "Because you didn't do what I asked you to do, I'm calling. Him, I'm calling the marker, and I'm going to claim my 70 Sabbath years. And the land will rest for 70 years. And after 70 years, I'll bring you back." I just, that's how crazy we are, you know. God gives you a deal like that. Hey, here's the deal. I'm going to double time bless you in the sixth year, but seventh year, hey man, just take the year off and serve me. You know, write some poems about me, sing some songs, worship, sing, start a dance ministry. I don't know, you know, (laughs) fly some kites in my name. That's that's pretty much all he required of them was just to worship him for 12 months, undistracted. That's what he requires from us now. You know, it's it's six around seven or or what is it? Six around one. That's sacred. Six around one is what's sacred to God. We have six days, and, we, and what we're supposed to do is this, this is what the, the Sabbath day or the Sunday, whatever the day is, there is no designated day in the New Testament. Every day is unto the Lord. But we are to take a day that is designated to assemble with our brothers and sisters and honor God. Yes. They were going to do it for 12 months. Like church, but party and everything for 12 months, and they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And the Lord said, look, I'm going to turn this around. So here they are immediately. This is how good he is. They're in in despair. They're in a land they don't want to be in. The Lord tells them, listen, don't worry, guys. I got this, right? I'm going to turn all this around for you, but it's going to take me a little bit of time now. You know, he just blew the whole house up. He just burned it down to the ground. I'm going to turn it around, but it's going to take me a little bit. You took 490 years to burn it down. I'm going to take 70 and build it back up. But don't worry, I got this. Imagine that. God immediately gives them hope. He doesn't give them condemnation. In the midst of their stupidity, he gives them hope. He gives you hope in the midst of your stupidity. Why would you ever be down on yourself? Jesus isn't down on you. Look at these people. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. They're kidnapping prophets. They ended up kidnapping Jeremiah. They kidnapped him. We're kidnapped, Jeremiah. We don't want to listen to the prophet, but we need to bring him along just in case something goes wrong. Right? That's what they did. Literally. They kidnapped Jeremiah. Jeremiah got kidnapped by these people. We don't, we don't want to hear the Lord but let's take the prophet in case, we, in case we actually do need a word I love that story too when they ask the prophet they go does the Lord have a word they, they, they run off do their own thing start acting stupid in the middle of all this calamity they make even more calamity and then they look to Jeremiah and go does the Lord have a word and what was Jeremiah's answer yes he does always does he's always got a word for you and it's always good always there's quizzes and there's tests in our life are they not we have tests, things that God does in our life is a test. They failed these tests, and so God is now going to put them in another test. He's like, look, do the things that I'm telling you to do, and I will give you the things that I'm telling you I'm going to give you. Obey me. Do what I'm telling you to. Settle down. Seek the peace. Seek your calling. Seek your purpose. Honor me in the midst of the culture, and watch what I do. We have pop quizzes that test our readiness. We have open book tests that test our knowledge, and then we have tests of endurance. Whatever the test that's going on in your life, God's intent is not to fail you. His intent is to turn the test into a testimony. That's his intent. There are things that happen in our life. Right now we're being tested. Pop quizzes. Things just pop up in your life and, you know, are you ready for that? Are, what's your response to something immediate? So God's testing you. Everything that God tests us with, he doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. Why is he testing us? Because he wants to promote you. It's always about the next level with Jesus, always. And so the test requires the next level. You have to test the test. Okay, wow, Kevin doesn't freak out every moment that something blows up in his life. All right, let's move him along. Let's give him an open book test now. Instead of things just blowing up in his life, let's give him an open book. Let's let him look at circumstances that are completely contrary to my word, and let's see if he will follow my word. Open book test. Do you follow the promises, or do you follow the things that you see? Open book test. Then he'll test you with endurance. He'll give you a promise. He'll move you along. But that thing that you have is set out in front of you, and it's going to require endurance for you to do it. You have need of patience, the Bible says. And when you pass the pop quiz, when you don't react, when you don't react circumstantially, and when God shows and sees that you have an endurance to pursue and persevere by faith, which is a huge piece of the Scripture, then he promotes you. He promotes you all the way through. Pop quiz promoted, open book promoted. But when you can match all three up and God can look at you, you're somebody ready for an entirely different realm. Different realm. Most Christians, we settle in our realms. We just like it here. It looks good to me. It's a valley. You know? How green is my valley? Lo de do. Let us press onward towards what? The upward calling, that's what the Bible summons us all to, to not settle in valleys, but to go for higher places. Jeremiah tells them, this is what I tell you, I'll bless you if you listen to me. What were they supposed to listen to? Number one, the voice of faith, right? The voice of faith. That's the first thing they're supposed to listen to. Voice of fear says God's left us. Voice of faith says, no, he's got plans to prosper me. His thoughts are good towards me. He wants to give me a hope and a future. The first thing he told them is, I'm going to bless you if you listen to me. Say it with me, the first voice I need to listen to is the voice of faith. That's right? Say this with me. You're going to love this. Somebody's going to Twitter this. We're going to put this all over. Fear is not your prophet. Say this. Fear is not my prophet. Fear is not your prophet, Christian. Fear does not determine your future unless you allow it. If you allow it, fear will determine your future. But fear is not my prophet. Fear does not rule me. Fear is my enemy. I've known fear my whole life. I know it. And I refuse to bow to fear. Fear will not rule me. Fear will not master me. I'm not saying I don't fail, but fear will not dominate me. You understand that? There's a whole difference between failing in fear and being dominated by fear. You know how many people in, this, in the church are dominated by fear? It's, it's unbelievable. Fear is not your prophet. The first thing he tells them is listen to the voice of faith. The second thing he here tells him is listen to the voice of your calling. Believe that I have something for you. Settle down. Calm down. I've got something for you. Stop running. Stop living all over the place. Stop, you know, just calm down. Settle down. And then listen to what I'm telling you. He tells them to bring flourishing power to the place where they are. How are they supposed to do that? That's the next question, right? So if the Lord says to you, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're to cause the world around you to flourish. You're supposed to, you know, it's like this generic statement. The question is, is how do you do that? Well, he gives them the answer in the next verses. He said, Seek me. You will pray to me, you will call upon me, and you will find me. You will seek me and find me when you follow me after, or when you seek me with all your heart. So he gives them this mandate to create this, this future. He gives them this mandate to create their calling or to pursue the calling. And then he gives them the method. He gives them the mandate. And he gives them the method. How do we pursue my my calling? How do I do that? By pursuing the Lord himself. Seeking him. What do you want from me, Lord? What are you saying? What are you doing? What is your calling? What is your purpose? It's this constant interaction. Settle down. Seek your calling by seeking the Lord. I'll show you how to flourish. I'll show you how to prosper. This is what he's telling them. I have plans for you to prosper you, not to harm you. I have thoughts towards you for good and not evil. I have plans for you to reach the world around you, right? That's what he's saying. I know how to cause you to flourish. I know how to cause you to prosper. And I know how to show you the way out. He says, if you'll listen to me, I'll show you the way out of captivity. It's literally what he says. I'll bring you out of captivity. What captivates you? What holds you? What keeps you back? What locks you down? Right? Whatever it is. Lots of things. God said, if you seek me, I'm going to show it to you. The question now is, how do we seek him? Right, We seek Him through worship, but first say, say with me. We, the way we seek the Lord is by His Word. By his word. Right? That's the baseline of everything is His Word. From the Word comes the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is communion. Well, why would we seek the Word before the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit's language is Scripture. He speaks in the context of Scripture. You cannot hear Him clearly and accurately until you have a baseline or a working knowledge of the Bible. A working knowledge. Because then, as God speaks, you'll begin to understand it. He'll build it within the context of His Word, so that you can properly understand it. We seek the Lord by His Word. We're doing a thing here. We're not sure what the title yet is, but it's going to be very soon. Um, we'll probably have it ready. I hope by the fall. Um, I'm going to do Rocket Bible. So we're going to take you through the entire Bible. Uh, it'll be a video course in probably. Uh, I'm. It's going to be at least sixty hours. But you can go Genesis to Revelation in sixty hours, right? And what the design of that is, is to give you a working knowledge of your Bible. That's the design. Why? Because in order to follow the Lord, you have to have a working. It's one thing for me to tell you that. It's another thing for us to resource you and give you the means by which to do it. Understand that? Oh, read your Bible. Okay, read my Bible. How do I read my Bible? I don't even understand this thing, man. It seems like crazy. you know how it works. You'll understand it conceptually. That's really what the Lord's looking for, is that you would conceptually understand the Word, All Right? My responsibility is a little different but the responsibility of his people is that they would conceptually understand his word, right? There'd be a concept. We would all understand the concepts of what he's talking about. Seek me and I'll cause you to flourish. We seek him by his word. We seek him by his spirit. Why do we do that? It's in communion, the communion. Say it with me. Practice the presence. Practice the presence. Just chill, man. Get in your car, drive to work. Don't worry about traffic. Put some worship on and just let the glory come upon you. Practice the presence of the Lord. Say that's hard to do every day. Can you do it once a week? Can you do it twice a week? Can you do it three times a week? Practice the presence once a week. Can you do that? Uh, to San, who is in our children's ministry, she they, she does things with her kids every single day, going taking them to school. And one of the things is worship Wednesday. So she's taking them to school. They worship from from the time they get in the car all the way to school. She said she was praying and she was asking the Lord, "How do I teach my kids?" And so she does. Uh, I don't know what Monday is. Tongues Tuesday. I know they speak in tongues, right? She's so speaking in tongues from the time she pulls her driveway all the way. Imagine that! All the kids doing a little shikamo all the way down the highway, and that's pretty cool, right? And then Wednesday is Worship Wednesday. Thursday, I think, is Testimonies, and then Friday is when they all talk about the dreams and the visions and the plans that God has for their life. They reinforce each other. What if you did Worship Wednesday? What if you did Worship Wednesday? Your commute's, what, a half hour, 20 minutes, at least 30 minutes. You live in Miami. I don't care where you work. You're, you're taking you, you're, it's taking you 30 minutes to get there, you know. You can go five miles, and it's taking you 30 minutes. What if you put in worship music? What if you began Worship Wednesday, and you began to practice the presence, just learning to encounter his presence? That's the first side, is just learning to encounter. And then from the encounter, learning, then he's going to start speaking to you. You're going to jump out of yourself. My daughter's like, Dad, I've been reading my Bible. I'm like, wow, that's great, Mariah. I've accomplished something, you know, but no, my my daughter's really good, but then she starts telling me how God starts speaking to her, I said, you see, as soon as you activate the word of God, or you activate prayer, or you activate worship, the Lord, you begin to open yourself to hear his voice, and so she was just reading her Bible, and she's like, man, the Lord just started dealing with me on all this stuff, it's amazing how that works. We commune with the Lord, or we listen to the Lord, or we seek the Lord by his word, by his spirit, by prayer, supplication, and intercession. Prayers, another way, where it's du- it's just direct contact, community, which is mutual encouragement and, and, and exhortation. You're seeking the Lord here this morning, and He's talking to you, and He's encouraging you. This word, His word, is coming to you, and He's building you up. Spiritual DNA is coming into you. You don't even understand it. Yeah, taking a nap, but God's speaking into your life, man. He's building something into your genetic fiber, into your spiritual fiber, simply by communicating His Word and His presence. We draw on the faith of others, and we share with the faith of others. That's how we do it. This is what the church does. So we encourage each other, right? You're going to make it after all. I know it looks bad. You're down, but you're not out. Cast down, but you're not forsaken. Your best days are yet to come. We are to be a community of exhortation, a community of encouragement, a life-giving community where we draw on the faith of one another. You understand that? If you're down, this, look, we're a prophetic church, man. You know how easy this is here at Elevate? You're down? Just go, hey, I really need a word of encouragement. Do you know anyone here that can give me a prophetic word of encouragement? Sure. There will be about 12 people or 15 to 20 people each service. Well, we got a whole myriad of people here that can give you a prophetic word of encouragement. That's all you got to do. Could you give me a prophetic word of encouragement? We'll have plenty of people give you a prophetic word. You want that one? That's easy. We'll give you that all day long. So we're going to do a prayer. So I want you to lay your hand on your heart. All of you watching at home, I want you to do this. Lay your hand on your heart. We're going to do a confession. right? Say this. Jesus has got this. I know it doesn't look like it, but he's got it. He has never failed, and he is not about to now. My faith says this year is going to be the greatest year of my life. I will grow more than I have ever grown. I will learn more than I have ever learned. I will experience the goodness of God like never before. He has plans and purposes for my life. I will seek Him. I will find Him. He will instruct me. And I will listen. And through that, I will come into a new place of freedom. It's exactly what that verse is saying. Do you believe that? Amen. For those watching at home, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to offer you an opportunity to receive hope today. You can have hope. Say, I need hope. How do I get it? I'm going to tell you. The reason you're hopeless is that you're born a sinner. Don't feel bad. We all are. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means all of us are in this problem. But the, and, the, and the wages of that sin is death, which is eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to make an offer to you that if you give your life to him, he's gonna forgive the sin and he's gonna restore you and put you in a place of blessing, put you in a position of identity. You say, how do I do that? And the Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's Romans chapter 10, verse nine. If you believe in your heart, not your head, but if you just believe, if you have faith enough to say, I don't understand this, but I believe it, that's enough. And you just confess with your mouth. You say, what do I confess? I'm going to lead you in a prayer. We're going to pray a prayer together here as Elevate, and we're going to pray a prayer with you at home. This is a a 45-second prayer that will change your everything, not your something. It will change your everything. And so let's pray. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I don't understand all of this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, we love you, we bless you, we celebrate with you, and we honor you. That was awesome. Yes. So I'm going to bless you guys one more time, and I'm going to close the service in the stream. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen. Amen.